Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey there, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. If you're new to Behind the Line, what you should know about me is that I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy. And after over a decade working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. Today, we're kicking off a new month with a new series, and we're focusing on how to survive and support sanity while off work. This is a topic that I have become very familiar with, thanks to my extensive work as part of the WorkSafe BC provider network for almost a decade, as well as my work with clients through ICBC and other long-term disability groups. I've walked alongside so many clients who have struggled with the experience of being off work. And I know that some of you listening may have taken leaves from work in the past, are on a leave right now, or are considering taking a leave. I know that many are struggling to stay at work right now, given the ongoing degree of pressure and demand, along with short staffing and high exposure. So this topic feels particularly relevant right now. I'm going to try my best to make this series applicable to any off-work experiences, whether that's for a mental health concern or a physical injury or even maybe a maternity leave. You know I love practical, so my goal is to make this as practical and useful as possible. We're going to call out the stumbling blocks that commonly show up when people are off work, especially when it's for an extended period of time, and we're going to talk about what to focus on and prioritize in an effort to keep your sanity and use the time off to recover well. Our focus for this episode today is to call out the common challenges facing those who are off work. I've seen these be fairly consistent, regardless of the type of injury or reason for being off work, although certainly exacerbated by mental health concerns or injuries that restrict motivation or limit access to supports. Among the challenges of being off work, and there are many we're going to touch on today, one of the most significant issues that I see is the challenge that we as people face in relationship to self-motivated or internally motivated routines. Now, this is not specific to those in emergency response or crisis intervention work. This is not just a you issue. It's a human issue. The truth is our culture and society have been shaped to drive external motivation. 
We've been trained from really young to be up at a certain time to go to school, where an adult directs our time and attention and tells us when we get to eat and play and even go to the bathroom. We come home to adults who tend to direct our steps. Put your shoes away, do your homework, eat your dinner, get ready for bed. Our experience of self-directed time through a significant part of our lives is really contained to a handful of hours spread throughout the day where we get to make some autonomous choices based on our interests. Even as adults, our time is directed by when I need to be at work, the expectations of my workplace, which are externally determined and directed, and the obligations of home and adult life impose some amount of demand on our quote-unquote off time, which continues to restrict our self-determined time to a pretty limited span. So to be off work tends to shine a light on how we have failed to train ourselves to choose, direct, and motivate our own time. Without an imposed routine carved out for us, imposed on us, by work schedules and adult life demands, we can be left feeling like we're floundering. Interestingly, this isn't just limited to being off work. I see this come up frequently with clients who have recently retired. We imagine that not having our time and energy directed externally will feel liberating. We have big ideas and plans for what it'll be like, But without fail, it is never quite like we imagine. If we've never experienced or trained self-motivating, it turns out to be quite challenging. I remember learning about internal motivation in my own life back in high school. It's a strength I have now, but it wasn't always. It took some training to get it. Back in high school, my family moved from Alberta, where I grew up, all the way across the country to Massachusetts. I was just about to start 11th grade. Because of the American school system, if I had transferred, I would have had to add a whole extra year to complete the requirements to graduate because I had missed already so many American history and American lit classes that were requirements to graduate. So instead, I enrolled in a Canadian virtual school program that would let me graduate on time. My younger sisters went to school, but I had to figure out how to adjust to a totally new way of learning. I had always been directed by others, my parents, my teachers. I had no map for how to choose to do the work when no one was watching over my shoulder or threatening me with a quiz next week. My courses could be done as quickly or as slowly as I chose to complete them. I could wake up and do school throughout the day, or I could sleep all day and stay up working all night. Nobody was tracking my time, and it was on me whether I would succeed or fail. It took time and practice to adapt, and honestly, some pretty big flounder moments to make me figure out how to be on top of directing the course of my own life. I actually really credit this pivotal experience in my life with my ability to be successful as a self-employed person to this day, because in all honesty, self-employed life is very similar. 
The work is there, but no one is threatening your paycheck if you don't get around to it by a certain deadline. No one knows but you. It takes practice and some failures to develop the capacity to have an internal drive. It's effort to set and abide by a routine that is imposed only by you. And it is so very important to learn this skill set because without it, we can feel listless, directionless, and floundering. And that doesn't help anyone recover from anything well. When I share about this common challenge with people who are in it, it always has this really interestingly big impact to know that it's not a them issue. Understanding that this is a challenge that people throughout our society face and the context for why this is difficult frees us from feeling like it's a result of some personal fault or failing, some inadequacy in willpower or a defect in transforming desire into action that keeps us feeling stuck. It's important that we take the personal shame sting off of this and recognize that we're set up to struggle in this area. We've been trained in such a way where it is inevitably and invariably difficult to transition into a time where whatever happens in a day relies on us. In an episode in this series, we're going to talk about setting a routine and working to cultivate internal motivation and work ourselves out of the cultural patterns of depending on external direction. For now, the important thing is to know that this is a real and common risk and that it's not your fault, but it is yours to work through to do time off work well. For those who are off related to an injury, whether a physical injury or mental health concern, another really common complaint is that everything takes longer than expected. The reality is that the process of working with an insurance provider is slow sometimes painfully slow. The layers of bureaucracy are heavily present and people are often surprised by the delays and the complexities in decision-making and access to needed assessments, services, and supports. Many people find that the pace further degrades their symptoms, leaving them suffering and lacking the support they need when they need it most. Unfortunately, the truth is that this is kind of the nature of the beast, and only so much can really be done about it. There are shortages in health and limited specialists, and that is just the tip of the iceberg. The key here is knowing that the pace is slow. If you can walk in knowing that this is likely to be the case, it will hopefully shape more reasonable expectations. Talking with others you know about their experiences can help shape your expectations and help you get a sense of what normal looks like where you live. I will also say that this is a really good reason to be somewhat proactive about the decision to go off work if it is for mental health related concerns. Often those struggling with depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, and so on wait and waffle in the uncertainty of whether they really need to go off for some time before making the decision when things feel really bad. 
Believe me, I get that it's not an easy decision to make. But if we leave it until we are at our very lowest low, and then the process takes time and adds stress, it is going to feel further harmful rather than helpful. If we can give ourselves permission to put the process in motion a little bit sooner, we may not be in such dire straits and desperation for support from a system that has difficulty meeting that degree of need quickly enough. Many of those I work with reflect this and share that they wish they had gone off sooner, both in terms of having a bit more left in the tank to face the challenges of the system when going off, as well as having a little less cumulative impact to work through to hurry up and come out the other side. Along with the pace-related challenges of the system, those who go off work through some kind of workers' compensation or insurance program often face a lot of confusion, uncertainty, and fear of the big, bad insurance company. The reality is that entering this kind of system puts a lot of power into the hands of people who don't know you, and that can be terrifying. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. This is absolutely a legitimate feeling of concern. Decisions around diagnoses, approved limitations and restrictions, and determinations around return to work can be huge, life-altering decisions. And in this process, many of these are out of your hands, at least to some degree. The system is broken in a lot of different places, and so there are often challenges with clear communication, clarity of expectations, and a sense of next steps. This would be hard for anyone, regardless of the type of injury, but for those who are off for mental health-related concerns or injuries impacting cognitive function, such as head injuries, this can feel completely overwhelming. I see this a lot in my work. A client who is wrestling with severe anxiety or post-traumatic stress, being left waiting with little information or communication is a situation that is going to obviously lead to worsened symptoms. The nature of the process can, in its own right, undermine the wellness of the person who's supposed to be focused on recovery. I honestly wish I had some quick fix tips to make this particular piece easier. I don't, unfortunately, but I can offer a couple of reflections. My experience working in insurance-affiliated care for a little over a decade is that I have seen more humanity in decisions than I expected to. I have connected with many claim managers who have shown tremendous empathy, who have worked diligently to advocate for workers, and I have seen some bend the rules to benefit workers who really needed that bit of extra support. I wish I could say this is a universal expectation you can have, But while it may not be universal, I have seen it be far more common than I think most people expect when they're dealing with an insurance company. I've also seen a lot of growth in understanding within these companies. More and more of them are implementing mental health departments with staff who are getting specialized training in understanding and working to support people through mental health work-related concerns. As this has expanded, I've also seen the result of this be better care for those experiencing mental health-related injuries. I've also seen greater understanding of what healing and recovery look like. 
For example, back in the day, it was somewhat frowned on for workers who were off work to participate in hobbies and activities, because if you can do that, why can't you go to work? But over the last several years, and I think through education and advocacy that clinicians, including myself, have engaged in over the years, I've seen the system recognize that being off work shouldn't mean shutting down life. There's research that demonstrates and supports that recovery needs to happen in a context that requires people to participate in things that feel fun and connective and so on. While the big bad insurance company has a pretty solid reputation for being adversarial and sometimes actively aggressive, and I won't deny that it can be, I've also seen moves toward growth and change that bring me some amount of hope, and I recognize that these systems are improving in a lot of really meaningful ways that stand to benefit workers a lot of the time. I think one of the most common complaints I hear from clients and that I feel myself a lot of times when working with insurance-covered clients, is the severe lack of communication between parties and stakeholders. To some extent, this is not the workers' compensation or insurance provider's explicit fault. It's the result of a higher-level broken system. Each care provider has their own records, their own process, their specific role, They are each responsible to their own professional regulations and ethical expectations. They are independent and isolated from one another. Meanwhile, the person, the worker, you, are one person, one whole person, not subdividable into itty-bitty convenient parts suitable to each specific care provider who's offering you service. The concept of collaborative care is a fun idea. I don't mean that to sound flippant. Collaborative care is a really valuable and meaningful term that is really difficult to play out in real life. In an ideal world, practitioners and insurance representatives and whatever other stakeholders involved in a claim would have time and space to connect share resources, and offer wraparound care that prioritizes the success of the person we're tasked with serving. We would identify problems early, anticipate potential problems before they even show up, and work collaboratively to solve the problems or reduce the risks quickly. We would support one another's work and build it up for the benefit of the person we're working with. We would facilitate clarity and communication to reduce demands on the worker to act as a middleman cross-communicating between seven different providers and professionals. Unfortunately, this ideal is extraordinarily challenging to achieve in a managed care system where time is really limited and resources are stretched thin. That said, when asked to communicate, I think professionals will often agree to reach out and connect. When my client tells me that they would find it really helpful for me to talk with their case manager or to share some pieces with their OT, I will make time to fit that in. I know it's not ideal and I hate that it leaves people who are already doing the hard work of recovering from an injury in the position of having to do more, but it is a piece we can try to promote by asking. And this brings me to my next challenge, the need to self-advocate. Advocating for our needs tends to be difficult for a lot of people, but especially for those in helping professions. We tend to be wired to do for everybody else 
and not particularly for ourselves. There's a reason that we invented the self-care dare, because helping professionals really, really need the ability to learn how to focus on themselves. To some extent, this tendency may be a factor in what lands us off work to begin with, that we do so much prioritizing of everyone else and not ourselves. It may be that we have difficulty knowing and naming our own needs, having disconnected from them for a long, long time. We may have difficulty feeling worthy of support. We may struggle to justify our needs to others or communicate about our needs clearly. Perhaps we've lacked clear modeling for setting boundaries and enforcing them, which is a part of advocacy. Maybe we're shy or introverted or struggle to ask of others, fearing that we might be burdening them. There are a ton of reasons why self-advocacy can be really hard. Meanwhile, entering into being off work, particularly when it involves insurance companies and decisions being made that will affect your life on an ongoing this skill set is going to be a need. What is really challenging is that if this skill set is already hard, it doesn't get any easier when we feel like our internal resources and reserves are depleted as a result of the injury we're recovering from. When we're hurt, exhausted, possibly highly medicated, struggling to do day-to-day life activities due to the impact of an injury or mental health concern, The last thing we want to do is fight. We may not feel like there's any fight left in us. And yet as we face decisions that can change the course of the life I've worked so hard to build, the fight might be really important to the trajectory of where my life goes from here. Again, I can't say there's an easy fix to this one, but we'll spend some time tackling some tools to develop capacity for self-advocacy later in this series. Okay, the last significant common complaint I hear about as it relates to being off work is a super practical one that I couldn't do this episode without naming. And here it is. Money. Facing a reduced income while being asked to recover is not easy. For many, pay from insurance providers can be variable and inconsistent, causing confusion and difficulty budgeting for the reduced income. We know that money is one of the most significant stressors in people's lives. So when we're working to reduce stress and recover, it is so unfair that we add financial stress to the mix. It's a bit like asking you to just feel better while slapping you across the face. The financial limitations can reduce our access to things that might benefit our recovery, like activities, interests, and hobbies. It can also, unfortunately, act as a bit of a lure to rushing the return to work before we're really ready. This is another important piece to be aware of. If I had the ability to front load this for newbies in first response and frontline work, what I would say is that you need to know that this is an occupational hazard and to prepare for it. It's kind of like a race car driver taking out a solid life insurance policy. The risks of the job are real the consequences are real, and there's value in being proactive in taking action to protect financially from the possible consequences. In frontline work life, while I recognize this can be really difficult, it may mean proactively buffering savings early in your career that is earmarked for supporting you or being a financial buffer in the possible case where you face an extended period of time off work with reduced income. 
As someone who is self-employed and the sole income earner for my family, I've had to do this in my own life to be able to take each of my maternity leaves. It's not easy and involves a ton of sacrifice in the short term to set aside a little bit each month. But to have it there when you need it can be a significant relief and offer a different room emotionally and mentally for recovery to happen. Likely there are additional concerns related to being off work that I haven't mentioned here today. And if you have thoughts you would like to add to the mix or hear me talk about, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. I also want to say that while some of the quick fixes we've talked about today or pieces I've touched on today are kind of an introduction, we will dig in a little bit more as we work through this series together. Please reach out and connect if you have any questions or feedback. You know I love hearing from you and shaping this podcast to echo your needs and interests. I also love hearing about what you're working on and how you're using what we talk about on the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Lindsay A. Foss, where you can follow me or tag me, or you can email me at support at thrive-life.ca. I continue to be floored by your support. And I'm grateful that many of you are keen to share about behind the line to others on the front lines. Your efforts to share are so meaningful and are making a difference in the lives of others on the front lines. I get to hear those stories all the time. So thank you so much for sharing with those you know. Know that we can be found online on our website, on most major podcast platforms, as well as on YouTube. Click subscribe to get alerts about our latest episodes or subscribe to our email list to hear from me about all the exciting things we have going on and coming up. You'll find all the details you need in the show notes, along with links to our free Beating the Breaking Point Indicators Checklist and Triage Guide, which is meant to help you facilitate self-assessing burnout and related concerns. If you haven't picked it up and tried it out yet, I'd really encourage you to check it out. It's a really fantastic resource and is great for doing an initial self-assessment, but also doing a bit of a check-in with yourself over time. We make all of this available to you because the work you do matters, but more than that, you matter. And we want to make sure you have what you need to keep up the good work at work, as well as in your very real and meaningful, mattering life outside of the work. So use it and share it. And until next time, stay safe.